Today on Stand Your Ground, we talk about your manhood. No, we don't mean that. We mean how you're living your life as a man. This is straight up biblical masculinity versus toxic masculinity. Ladies, don't turn us off yet. This is how you keep your man in check. Masculinity is under attack from all directions in today's culture, and retreat is not an option. the Stand Your Ground Show. I'm Jacob, your host, and with me tonight are Tommy and Jackson, and not Bram, because he has an exam. Wah, wah. I had to get that in there. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. Wah. He too, deserves it. Too good of a pun not to. I mean, gosh, why would you go and take school stuff more seriously than doing a podcast with your other three best friends? Honestly, because he's lame. Honestly, pro tip, MBAs are worthless. <laughs> <laughs> Go start your own business, and then you don't need an MBA. You do learn a ton doing that, that is for sure. You know what I was thinking about when, when we were um, like putting this intro together, by the way, is the whole time I think we were subconsciously like putting as much manhood into the intro as we possibly could. What do you mean? Well, okay, masculinity is under attack from all directions. Retreat is not an option. Combat, so obviously, Correct. really good. But like, if you think about it, everything that we wrote for a while was just how do we just put as much just fired up, blood, sweat, and tears into this? I don't know, but as I know manly, manly as we, I mean, as I manly as we possibly could. I don't know what else is more manly than blood, sweat, and tears. That is true, because it's sacrifice. I just <laughs> think that we're we we are in a war, and so I think the combat language is appropriate. It's not a physical war; it's a culture war. And that's why we started this, is to fight the culture war. That's true. Also, last point on MBAs. The real... <laughs> I was trying to steer away from it as, as well as just, I could. Yeah, just, he's going to steer back. Because <laughs> you know I had this coming. The real idiots are the ones who start their own business and then also go get an MBA. Because then it's really worthless because you'll never use it. Either that or they're going to be so supercharged for all that life throws at them that it's just going to be... Well, it's that, or they wasted X amount of thousands of dollars. Well, it depends. It's about the network, Jacob. It's, a, a, it's about the network. There's a reason he's arguing for MBAs. <laughs> it's true. I don't deny it. Yeah. So do we want to talk about... Yeah, let's... Okay, so let's, let's start off with something that I saw um, this week that kind of it caught my eye and it it frankly just kind of annoyed me so there was a somebody shared this post on facebook i think it was and it's just completely asinine but i think it actually indicates what many people think right now and that is this is what the post says it says men opening doors for women is a symbol of aggressive patriarchy men are saying you may enter or leave this place, but only on my say-so. I don't even know where to begin with this because this is just, as somebody who was raised to do this out of respect, like this is a complete slap in the face. Jacob, you look like you're excited to say something. Well, I was raising my hand. I just want to say that I feel so bad for this poor child who posted this. It looks like it's on Twitter. Uh, you must have just terrible parents. And I'm so sorry for you. My heart goes out to you because clearly you were raised in a terrible way. I honestly, like, in, in a lot of ways, it makes us feel, like, kind of sad for this person. And anybody that would think this way, 
that opening a door for a woman is a reminder of our dominance over women. That has nothing to do with it. We were all raised in, in households that it was literally opening a door to show respect. It's almost a, a deference to the women to allow them to go first and to enter first. It's, it's treating them well. So for anybody to take it as a direction of, I am doing this because I want to remind you that as a man, I am in control of all of your choices. That is just completely ridiculous. I agree. Uh, I think the best part of this post is that then uh, this person went ahead to went ahead and commented on their own post. And it seems like it's the first comment. I could be wrong, but it seems like it's the first comment. And so they comment on their own post and say, a man opening and holding a door open for a woman is him subconsciously reminding her that all men are in control of a woman's choices. I just feel like if I was a woman and a man opened a door for me and I said, you think you can open a door for me? You think that me entering this doorway is your choice? You think you're better than me? You think you're better than me? I think that if I was a woman and that happened in today's world, I guess I just need to not go into the doorway. Maybe the best way is to open the door and then close the door while the woman is still waiting and then ask her if she's desirous to enter this doorway. Are you, and then, do you consent to me opening the door to you? And then if, yeah, and then if she that says yes, episode, sir. and then if she says yes, then you can open the door. Or maybe you give her the option of you opening the door or I feel so bad for the people dating now. I mean, it, it's, it's insane. Like you can't even do anything right. I mean, one of the like earliest things that, that you do when you're just first dating, what's the first thing you do when you pick up a girl for a date? You open the car door. You for open her. the car door. Is that telling her that you are commanding her to get in the car? I mean, usually I would think that that is something that is just, I'm doing this because I'm trying to be a gentleman. Well, I mean, to be fair, that's a pretty quick way to weed them out. That's true. Uh, I will also say, yeah, my, my fiance who shall remain nameless, I always open the door for her and always started off our relationship opening the door, whether it's a car door, whether it's a door that has hinges, whether it's a sliding door. The one thing that throws me is the automatic doors. I don't know if I should go first or if we go in together. I don't know what it is, but she will tell you that was a big difference between me and some other people that she dated. I, so I think it was this past week we were, um, staying at a hotel and, and we had to get off the elevator and the elevator was crowded and somehow because I allowed my wife to go in first which I know how dare I but I allowed her to go in, in the elevator first and then I stood right at like the exit of the elevator and keep in mind there were a ton of people out or a ton of people in the elevator and we stopped at one floor that we were getting off on but it was me and I was the only guy in the elevator and instead of just going right out of the elevator because I was the first one closest to the exit i stood to the side and let everybody go out and my wife just turned to me and said okay from now on just just go just get out of the elevator you're, you're causing a problem like i said automatic doors nobody knows what it, to do it with them it's really complicated especially if they're from both sides or if it's a one side anyway we say all that to say if you are a man open doors for women don't pay attention to dumb twitter posts from people who apparently are named april surrounded by hearts. Just be a man, open the door. If the woman doesn't want you to do that, she's not the right woman. So this points to such a bigger issue right now that, that we kind of hinted at with the lead in. And that is 
the attack against masculinity. And there's so many things that are flying around right now that are condemning any type of masculine behavior. And we wanted to take today to just set the record straight, identify what is masculinity, what is true biblical masculinity, as well as set aside the difference between biblical masculinity and toxic masculinity, because there is such a thing as toxic masculinity. And these things need to be addressed and they should be condemned as not being excusable in any manner. So we're going to dive into this. We're going to talk about a lot of it. Um, but I think the best thing that we can do is start off with, let's talk about toxic masculinity. It's a huge buzzword in today's societies, but let's actually discuss what does it mean and let's just dive into it. So what is toxic masculinity? So I think one thing to keep in mind is that while we go through this discussion, masculinity is a spectrum. There are certain things that are good up to a point, and once they cross that threshold, they become toxic. And that is my premise that I'm going into it. I don't think that I'm gonna meet with 100% agreement with that, because there are some very interesting blurred lines in where that threshold is, or if there is a threshold, but it should be interesting. So um, what is toxic masculinity? I think that toxic masculinity is when you carry basic masculine traits into an extreme behavior. I'm trying to think of an example. Let's, let's go with, uh, let's go with aggression first. So males, you know, we are biologically more aggressive. And that is okay, I think. There's a purpose. A there's a purpose for there's it. A, yeah, there's a reason for it. There's a reason that throughout history, all of the wars were fought by males. We could talk about uh, the reason that it's history and not herstory. Oh my gosh. <laughs> or why it's a man and not a woman. Well, oh, I, mean, I never thought of that. Oh, that's a huge thing nowadays. Nope, that's a tangent. And we're going to go down it if we all don't right, stop. Yeah, line. Yep. So I think the big key here is to your point, the spectrum of masculinity. And, and a lot of people will disagree that it's a spectrum. I mean, masculinity, it almost seems like it's been completely reinvented just in the past five years. But aggression is something that I would say is an extreme version of intensity. There is a sense of intensity as men. We are naturally um, built to drive and provide for our family. And, and to do that, we have to be able to be self-motivating in a lot of ways. When we are not just stopping at the self-motivation factor in order to provide for myself and my family, and all of a sudden we take that intensity to another level, maybe it's because we think that that's how we're supposed to come across and become these big macho men that, you know, they're just aggressive about everything, or maybe there are some anger issues or something like that, who knows? But aggression is the extreme act of intensity that has no place in being a man. There's a time for certain types of aggression to be appropriate, whether it's defending your family or defending yourself. But that is not the same thing as the aggression that we see in this world. I mean, let's just, you know, call it out. The rape culture that is out there, there is a huge systematic problem with aggression. And there's a lot to be said about rape culture and about that whole area, sexual assault and everything. And obvi obviously all of that is terrible. Seems like a topic for possibly another episode. 100%, but it is stemmed from male aggression in a way that is not appropriate. Correct. I think that's a really good example of when it crosses the threshold. I do think that there is a measure of aggression that is okay. 
because as males, we have certain things that we want. We want mostly, most of us do, to have a family. We want to be able to provide for that family. We want to advance ourselves to the next level. We want to compete and win against other males at whether it's sports, games, whatever you may call it. I think that there's a there's a balance to be struck, obviously, but I don't think that aggression is necessarily 100% bad. No, I think when it comes to toxic masculinity, aggression, it's it's more over aggression right. than actual aggression. I completely agree. For example, I want a promotion at work. I want a new job. I have to beat the other candidates for that job in order to get it, regardless of what the goal is. The goal can be, I mean, I think the goal can be selfish. I think it can be because you want to provide more things for your children. I think it can be because you want to do certain things for yourself that you need more money for and this promotion or new job brings that. I think all of that is okay. But I also think that when you take it to a, another level and you start to, I guess, display behavior that undermines candidates, you know, obviously if you start sinning, like you start lying about other candidates, you start slandering other candidates, whatever the case may be, that's when it is taken to an extreme. That's when it crosses the threshold into what are you saying? Hyperaggression? Yeah. Overaggression or overaggression. Yeah. Whatever the Which, whatever those is. Yeah. That is when it becomes what is known as toxic masculinity. And see, this is where I think we get into a gray area with aggression. Because there is a line between being assertive with that's the word I'm looking for. What assertive? Assertive. Yeah, I assertive think there's a line aggressive. between assertive and a, and a that's that's the difference. It's aggressive. Assertive is, I think, the biblical principle. Can't just be passive. You have to actually go out and do. But when it gets to aggressiveness, is where I think it crosses the line more into toxic masculinity. So here's a here's a good verse. I don't know if this directly relates to aggression per se, but Romans twelve ten: Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's a word you don't hear anymore. I think that is one? Honor. honor. Honor is dead. But I'll see what I can do. <laughs> I set you up for that so You need to read that book. I know, I really do. But I think that's the difference. The difference between assertiveness and aggression is honor. I agree. Yeah. Right? Do you have honor? As a man, do you have honor? That goes, you know, we can talk about honor is such a, a deep conversation of other mm-hmm. things. But that is the difference between being assertive and, and going after things that you need to do to accomplish what you need to do for yourself, for your family, for whoever, for whatever purpose it is. But being aggressive is going past that line and becoming hostile, mm-hmm. whether it's through words, emotions, actions, whatever that, that is. When you cross that line and all of a sudden you're almost becoming attacking of others, that's toxic masculinity. That's not manhood. That is right. not outdoing one another and showing honor. I think that that's the, that's the difference there. I think yeah. that, yeah, like what you were saying, assertiveness is when you do try to outdo someone in showing honor, whether it is in a work scenario, a family scenario, whatever the, the situation is. Aggression, which I guess we'll term as negative for the sake of this podcast, is when you try to outdo someone not honorably, dishonorably. Yeah, it's, it's really almost the idea of 
undercutting somebody else in order to take advantage of the situation. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. It's it's basically uh, assertiveness only in a self-serving way. I do think that there is a kind of a, a, whether it's a contradictory or a sacrificial, I don't know exactly the word, but there is a there is some sense of, contra of contradiction in masculinity uh, from a biblical perspective because you are a man and you want to lead and you want to be assertive and you want to you know be honorable and outdo people based on honor, but you also submit to God in everything. Mm -hmm. And Tommy, I don't, you can probably I don't know if you remember, but when we were reading Man Up with our other friend, it did touch on. I forget the phrasing of it, but it did touch on the contradictory sense of masculinity. Do you remember that at all? He emphasized sacrificial um, a lot. Well, I mean, it's it's it, the the contradiction stems from basically leading by taking orders. Well, it's it's the same concept as servant leadership. Right. It, it kind of initially seems oxymoronic. Right. Because, well, okay, if you're a leader, you're not a servant, but when you approach leadership through an act of doing it to better others, as opposed to just bettering yourself, then that's how you get the people that you're leading to step up in whatever it is that they're doing. Yeah, I think servant leadership is a concept we probably need to touch on either in this episode or maybe in another episode, because, oh, just so everyone knows, we are going to be doing at least a three-part series on masculinity because it is just too massive of a topic to cover in 45 minutes to an hour unless we want to release an hour and a half long podcast which i don't think yeah. anybody here wants to do I, I would not yeah so i don't have enough attention span to be able to talk for that long right so anyways moving on to the next topic another big thing that is considered toxic masculinity is in today's culture have a huge emphasis on completely suppressing their emotions. They show no emotions at all whatsoever. I think this is a very, again, I'm going to keep bringing up the contradictory piece of masculinity, and I'm going to try to translate it into the spectrum concept I was saying earlier because it's good up to a point, right? So not showing emotion is, in our outline, in our notes, an element of toxic masculinity. But I do think that there are times where you cannot show an emotion. There's a difference between showing emotion and making decisions emotionally. Right. Well, the the toxic part of it is suppressing your emotions, is is ignoring them, basically. Yes. Like, everyone has emotions, obviously. But it's the difference between recognizing them and ignoring them, or recognizing them and then realizing that regardless of what you may feel, that may not be the best way to make a decision on whatever is currently happening. Well, I mean, there's a time for everything, right? There's a time to control your emotions. There's a time to let your emotions, maybe not necessarily control you, but let them overflow, if you will. Mm -hmm. But there's never a time to neglect your emotions. And I think that's that's the thing is you can't just neglect them. You can't sweep them under the rug or try to bury them and suppress them right. because you think you can't have them. So what's your so what is the element of toxic masculinity in regards to not showing emotion? Feeling that to be masculine, you cannot show any emotion ever. Yeah. 
Okay. And, or, or, and that's not just an external thing as far as showing emotions, but also meaning that internally you're burying them. Well, you're not addressing the emotions that you're, you're recognizing, whether it's in a certain moment you're frustrated and not recognizing that and processing it, or in another moment you're terrified and not processing that. I'm not saying to allow that to react or to allow that to make you react in a certain way. What I'm saying is just ignoring emotions and, and I mean, this goes into like psychology and all of this stuff, ignoring emotions over time piles up in such a way where it causes a very negative reaction in your, in your system. So then is there a time to ignore emotions? Because just being completely honest, I'm a person who is not typically regarded as emotional. There's, there's not a lot to that. And there are times that, you know, I obviously everybody feels emotions, obviously me less so because you know, I'm just a pure, logical, cold, hard human being. You're a robot. There are, yeah, basically. There are times where I, you know, despite my, my best efforts, feel fear, feel, you know, a negative emotion. I typically try to ignore those negative emotions until such a time comes when I can't address them. Is there a correct time, in y'all's opinion, to ignore emotions? I would argue you're not ignoring them. Because you recognize that you were feeling is, them. Is there a time to delay the Absolutely. acknowledgement of said emotions? Um, yes. I mean, you, you can't ignore them, but you can't let them control you. That's the big difference. So is that a yes or a no? For which question? Is there a time to delay facing them? Yeah. That question. I mean, maybe for like uh, an immediate situation. But the more you ignore something, the more you're going to want to ignore something. Well, I, and I think they're also being rational and being emotional are not mutually exclusive. True. So I, I don't think that it's as black and white of a question is what you're asking, because there is always going to be some sort of emotional element to a rational decision, no matter how rational it may be. So we can't really completely separate those. The key there is not it's it's not allowing your emotions to dictate your decisions on okay. one hand and then on the other extreme not even recognizing or wanting to deal with your emotions and what happens is when you take the latter route and you start just ignoring them and burying them and just keep becoming colder and colder and colder it creates a more cynical frankly more aggressive person because they're not dealing with the emotions or not dealing with the things in a, in a mature masculine way of processing how they feel about things. Okay. So what you're saying is basically face your fears. If your fears are emotions, that's what you face. Yeah. As a man. Yeah. I mean, it, it, face your fears is one way to put it. I think it's, it's more of learn how to control your emotions. Don't let your emotions control you. So the toxic aspect of not showing emotion is to, ignore them, put them in a box, never address them. And the biblical version of masculinity, and I don't know if we want to talk about what the Bible says about emotions, but from, from our perspective as a healthy male, maybe not necessarily biblical, but a healthy view of masculinity is to figure out the time and the place to address said emotions and then do not delay doing that for too long. Yes, I would say there's probably toxic masculinity can be found on the extremes of either of those sides. 
Right. I agree. Because you don't want to be hyper emotional. And I and I think yeah. what am I a woman? <laughs> just We're gonna kidding, cut just that. Kidding. Well, that was just actually kidding. that was kind of getting to uh, something I was I wanted to point out is when you go through and we'll get into the rest of them in a minute. But when you go through the first two, it paints this picture of this modern man, I guess if you want to call him that, that we see in in TV on uh, in movies this false machismo kind of person who's full of himself, always gets what he wants, doesn't show any emotion, emotions are for women, that's not, you know, that's not a manly thing. And I think as we go through this, a lot of these toxic masculine traits are going to build the exact example of manhood that our culture has been showing us. So do you think our culture has been showing us a toxic view of masculinity or a more feminine view of masculinity. It depends I mean, on which one they want to show, but probably both. It's, it's yeah. yeah, it's kind of a mixture of both. So basically, it's it's uh, it's on the spectrum, right, of masculinity, not the autistic spectrum. There's a balance to be struck. Is what is what it seems like the common theme between these two. I know there's there's some more things we got to get through, but it seems like the common theme between these two is that. You want to be in the middle of the scale. You don't want to be on the low end of the scale. You don't want to be on the high end of the scale because those are two different types of toxic masculinity. And I would argue that extra feminine masculinity falls into the category of toxic masculinity. Right. So again, you want to, you want to be in the the middle of the of the scale, not on both extremes. Yes. Both extremes are toxic in different ways, but they're still toxic. In the middle is where a biblical male a, a Christian male, a male who follows the orders of God, follows the Bible, that's where they're designed to fall. Think of it like you're standing on a, on a seesaw, literally standing. That's Well, I mean, or sitting, but standing on a seesaw. You want to be standing in the middle. If you do that, you're going to be able to stay balanced. You're going to be able to stay in place. If you're on either end, you're either going up or down. The idea of toxic masculinity is very fluid because it's different sides of the spectrum to your point, but it's also extremely different waves of action, emotion, whatever it may be. Whereas if you're staying in the middle, you're centered, you're stable, you're still processing everything, but you're doing it in a way that is holistic and also healthy for you as a man that allows you to live life as a man. There are times on each end that you need to dial up. So like with aggression, sometimes you have to dial it up and the seesaw shifts, but you have to shift back. That's, you know, towards if 10 is hyper aggressive, then that's where you dial up a little bit more aggressiveness to get what you need to get. But then there are also times where like with showing emotions where you need to show them a lot of emotion and tenderness and vulnerability. And that's where it dials the other way. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and you're right. But if you notice on, on that, on that same example, you can do that while still staying in the middle. Okay, we're good. Editing is a beautiful thing. Yeah. <laughs> because when you go to the extremes is when it becomes toxic. Right. Either way. So it, it's always going to be a balancing act. Well, and we live in a world of extremes right now. So it's not really surprising that the betrayal of men's is portrayal, not betrayal. Well, actually, technically both. The betrayal of men and the portrayal of men yep. is on the extremes. Right. Number one. How much of what we do, how much of what we see in terms of what masculinity is today is based on entertainment? Mm -hmm. Well, Well, it's entertainment. It's not supposed to be real life. So it's going to be made up in certain extremes. But what happens is 
it was we start to get wrapped up in projections of what masculinity is on that and start to think that, oh, that's how masculinity is in the real world. And that's bad. Well, this is a bit of another topic, but extremes are easier, which is why that is so prominent. Agreed. Sure. Agreed. Yeah. So, um, and it makes for really good television. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's move into the next topic, which is needing to be in control. Which, I don't know how we want to address this, but obviously there is a time to be in control and there's a time to not be in control. Mm. And I think this fits very nicely in the seesaw analogy where sometimes you have to dial it up and you have to take control. You have to take life by the horns and wrangle it into the ground. There are other times where things are out of your control. There's nothing you can do to get them in your control. And at that point, you just have to ride it out and see what happens and trust God. I have been known in my life to be somewhat of a control freak. No. I know. It's surprising, right? And I've come to realize something in my recent years. Control, in large part, is a myth. There are only so many things that we actually have control over. The majority of them are over ourselves, meaning we can control our actions, our choices. Sounds like what you were talking about is self-control. Self-control is a great way of putting it. But the reality is the world is you know, full of a number of different control factors that we don't have control over. The, the way that we can approach this is we control what we can control, which means we can control the input. Right? We can't control the output. We can't control what everybody else is going to do, even if we think that we can or we should. But if we can control ourselves and do that diligently day in and day out, we're at least going to be able to be much more satisfied with where we are in our life and not get angry and frustrated over the things that we really don't have any control of to, be, to begin with. True. So I'm going to bring up an example of toxic needing to be in control. So let's say that you are in a relationship with a great lady and you have the toxic aspect of your personality of needing to be in control. You are going to try and, and honestly, this is, this isn't any relationship. You're going to try to control what the person does, how they react to things. You're going to try and put as much power in your hands and take away power from them as you possibly can. And that is a betrayal of a good relationship. And just to be clear, that is that he's describing toxic masculinity in that scenario, not just yeah, what I said he should toxic. be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that is a, a very good example. If you are in a relationship where you, know, you have restrictions on things, you have whatever the case may be, it's to a point that's not healthy. And I, I don't have any experience in a relationship like this. Uh, I've never been, I don't think controlled by a woman if i am controlled by a woman then she's doing a very very good job of it which means you are no i don't think i am but that that's an example of of a toxic need to be in control relationship where you try to dictate that person's every motion you try to you maintain power over them they're you know beholden to you and everything every single thing that they do it's a betrayal of their trust it's a symbol that you don't trust them because you know obviously a toxic male does not trust anyone, except for anyone. I don't even to trust themselves. Well, go back to that example of the masculine male that culture has been portraying. When you think of that, it's a person who has to be in control of every situation, 
they're the ones that have to you know be the leader they're the ones that make all the decisions regardless of if they know what the hell they're doing at all what i think it's important to distinguish between being a leader making all the decisions and also allowing no one to have input on set decisions and leadership i think a good leader and a good decision maker allows for input because i i do think that as men we have a leadership responsibility we are told by god to make decisions for the family however we're also told to what you're making a face cyrus oh we're also told to be servant leaders take in take input from everybody seek wise counsel and then make our decisions right i think that's one of the toxic aspects of needing to be in control is when you take control and and do not accept any kind of input right anything yep you know clearly you think you know what's best nobody else knows what they're doing you know if it's going to get done right you're the one that has to do it yeah and i think that kind of ties into so skipping one of the of the toxic male aspects on the outline that we have i think that ties into chauvinism Right, because I mean, a lot of this is geared towards. Obviously, everybody wants to. Not everybody. Most males are driven to seek a family, seek a wife, and raise said family. And I think that ties into chauvinism. Needing to be in control, you are just you know taking taking the female, the significant other in your life, your spouse, your wife, your girlfriend, whatever it is, and not allowing her to have input on decisions, and that's wrong. Decisions need to be made jointly. Everybody has to be on the same page. Everybody has to understand the why behind decisions. It, this all paints a picture of, am I allowed to say douchebag in the podcast? podcast? I mean, you did, so yes. I think I'm allowed. So it paints a picture of the douchebag that you see at the gym, and this is stereotyping at, at the highest degree, but it's true in a lot of ways, who is completely jacked, lives at the gym, goes to bars, starts fights with guys, hits on every single woman, comes across as way too much all the time, and exhibits traits of everything we've been saying. Hyper-aggressive, doesn't show any emotion, doesn't address any emotion, has to be in control of said situation, whether it's at the gym, whether it's at the bar, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, exhibits a, a, an unhealthy need to be in control in all of his relationships, glorifies, and you know, you've all seen the guy at the bar or the guy at the restaurant or the guy at the party or the guy at whatever social gathering that you're at. That's always trying to throw down. Always trying to throw down and has a very chauvinistic view of women. Everybody has seen that guy. It's a living, breathing, walking stereotype. It is a toxic stereotype. That's a perfect example of if I'm defining hyper-aggressive and all, all those things at the 10 out of 10 level of masculinity, that's an extreme that is toxic. At the same time, you've seen people that are the worst part and the opposite side of aggression. They're not aggressive at all. They're doormats. They roll over for whatever people give them. Oh, my boss demands that I work 20 more hours a week. Oh, okay, well, I guess I'll do it. Do I want to pull a bunch of work from other people that I can't rely on. Yeah, sure. I'll just take your work and work, you know, 50, 60, 70 hours a week. They don't show emotion or they, in this case, they're too emotional. They're always talking about how they feel and they make decisions off of how they feel, whether it's 
leaving a job, whether it's dating someone, whether it's, you know, whatever the case may be, they don't need to be in control and they don't be a leader. They let other people dictate all of their life decisions. Again, whether it's your boss, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your girlfriend, whether it's your mom, whether it's your, whoever it is, they shy away from confrontation and they do the opposite of all these things. You know, what's, what's really interesting, if, if you get down to the core of toxic masculinity and what causes somebody to be toxically masculine, is toxically a word, by the way? I say it is, and I took a vocab quiz that said I could coin words because my vocab is so high. That is true. You're a wordsmith. Yep. You are a qualified wordsmith. So we're going to go with toxically. So somebody who is acting in a toxic masculine way. I could even spell it for you. At the even if it's like the actual spelling or not. Yep. It doesn't matter because you're a wordsmith. So what you say goes. Topically, switch out the P for X and you're good. Toxic masculinity at its core stems from insecurity. Being unsure and insecure of yourself and who you are. And therefore it causes you to act out and almost overcompensate to try to either convince yourself or convince people around you that you are a real man. The flip side of that is having security in who you are and whose you are. Right. It allows you to have confidence in knowing that being a man and doing things the right way doesn't require acting out or acting in extremes. And if we're wrapping up kind of the, the whole concept of toxic masculinity, it is the idea that acting extra, acting out in extremes in ways that overtly show people that you think you're masculine that is toxic masculinity absolutely i think it's god versus what real masculinity is and that is having the confidence and the assuredness of knowing that you don't have to do that to be a real man you can still have emotions you can still be strong you can still be the manliest man in the world that can literally go out and cut down trees with your teeth i'm not saying do that wow that's but uh... But but that is the impressive. image that we have is that that old you know hard man of the woods type type person. Well, let me ask you this: when you cut down trees, and let's say that you're not using your teeth, let's say that you're using a more you know functional tool. Like That's a, probably a good idea. Like an axe, per, perhaps. Would you say that when you swing the axe, you have to hit said log that you're trying to chop? I know. I don't I know, know where you're going. Let me let me, this. let me answer. Let me answer the question for you. I know that you can't answer that question <laughs> because the one time we had you chop wood, false. You missed. That's false. It was the one time you were recording <laughs> me chopping wood. There is video evidence of Jackson swinging an axe at a piece of wood, and just let's you know, I'll be on the same page here. Wood doesn't move and missing. <laughs> Well, I mean, if we're going to go there... What's... Both of us were witness to it. Oh, man. <laughs> that is true. Man, I forgot about that. Well, if that's if, if that if we're going there, what's the... Uh, why was there so much overconfidence or uh, overcompensation on your part to break the axe handle? I didn't break the axe handle. That was my cousin. Uh, no, my axe handle, sir. Oh. I didn't mean to. <laughs> I'm sorry that I was too strong for your axe handle. Yeah, just, you know. Speaking of which, we all need to go camping again. Over aggression. We do need to go camping That was again. fun. And we have property now. Yeah. Anyways, we digress. We digress. The, the bottom line is the difference between toxic masculinity and biblical masculinity 
is whether or not you are insecure or if you are secure in who you are. And we should all be very secure in who we are. We know whose we are. We're followers of God. We're Christians. And that should give us all the confidence that we need to go out and live life according to Christ. And so it's really important when we're thinking about what that means is in terms of masculinity that we were thinking about our spiritual focus as well. I mean, we're talking about biblical masculinity here. So spiritual aspects obviously is a, is a very important part of that. That leads to understanding what does a spiritual man look like? What does he do that separates him as a biblical man versus any other human being or any other toxic man out in the world? I think it's really good to actually go to scripture to see what does a biblical man look like? How does he provide spiritual support for his family? So I would ask you just to, you know, either of you, what are some parts of scripture that you think really identify a spiritual man? So I think that there's obviously there's a couple of verses. I think we've all done some some research on, on talking about some. One that stood out to me, uh, and it stood out to me because I am a big fan of concise things. I like short verses. I like immediately applicable items. Does that mean Jesus wept is your favorite verse? Uh, it's not my favorite verse, but because it's, it's short, it's up there. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a good, it's a good, it encompasses a lot of things. It encompasses emotion and feeling it. Uh, and, it and then the context surrounding it, it, it is great. I mean, he ends up raising someone from the dead after that. So you talk about power, you talk about power under control, and then you talk about feeling emotions and that there being a time and a place to it. That is actually a really, really freaking good verse to talk about all those things. It's not the verse that I had in mind, but that's really good. That's a really, really good example. That whole that whole Lazarus uh, story, yep. not story, the whole Lazarus account is so good. Mm -hmm. Boy, uh, that, it, you did a pretty good job there with considering that wasn't even the verse that you were going to use. Or you did a really good job. And bring it up. You know, part of my job is to just set people up to be successful. You're right. But in the theme of me being awesome, you're right. I did a really good job. <laughs> so, anyways, my, my, my verse that I was going to talk about is 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. It's short and encapsulates a lot of things. I think you're going to hear this verse repeated throughout the podcast. And uh, what it says, it's, it's obviously Paul writing to the Corinthians. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. I would like to talk about this verse for like 30 seconds, a couple minutes, whatever the case may be, but I don't think it gets any simpler than that. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And this is just spot on. I, I mean, unless you guys have any more thoughts, I don't think that there's a lot of elaboration that needs to be done on this verse. That is the beauty about Paul's writing is he is very straight to the point. He's not going to beat around the bush. He's just going to get right to it and tell you what he's, what he needs to tell you. Tommy, I want to go to you and, and I want to hear what you think as far as what verse or, or part of scripture really reflects what biblical manhood looks like. One of the best verses that kind of encapsulates the antithesis of the toxic man. Uh, would be Proverbs 24, 5 or 6. It says, A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance you can wage war, wage your war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. When you think of the toxic man, they're not someone who goes and seeks wisdom. They're ones who believe they hold all of the wisdom. Just a point to clarify, the antithesis of toxic masculinity means that 
this verse is describing a wise man. Just so we were all clear, I don't want to get the, the definitions screwed around and, and mixed up. We are just, the, Proverbs 20, 24, verse 5 and 6 describes what the ideal man should be, what ideals of masculinity we should live up to. This is talking about full of strength, a man of knowledge, wise guidance, seeking wise counsel. All of these things are given to us by God as things to do. And as a man, we need to do them. We are men. We do things. This is, you know, three or four things that we need to do. I think the biggest piece of the Bible that stands out to me is James 1, 19 through 20. And it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We talked a little bit earlier about the difference between insecurities of the toxic man and the securities of the godly man or the biblical man. And James really preaches to this, and that is that the biblical man has confidence in who they are and whose they are. They know that they are a child of God, and therefore they want everything that comes out of them from their thoughts, their actions, from their words, everything is righteousness that resembles God. And to do that, we cannot be quick to immediately react to things. We cannot overcompensate for shortfalls that we may think we have. Instead, we have to be able to pause, take a minute, and understand what we're facing, understand the obstacles, the challenges, and the choices that we have, and then make a decision that is responsible and above and beyond or above all other things is the godly choice very good very good so that brings us to our takeaways and typically you know we like to give you guys some concrete actionable items to take from the podcast and apply to real life we think that the three bible verses we just covered which are all referenced with scripture you can go look them up are the takeaways for this segment and so you know, we talked a lot about the toxic male versus the biblical male. Uh, and then we based a lot of the stuff in scripture when talking about the biblical male. So I think the biggest takeaway is when you're listening to the podcast, listen to the three Bible verses we referenced. That is your example of a biblical male. That is what we should strive to be in everything that we do. And the examples we provided and all the dialogue about a toxic male is what you should obviously not strive to be. And I think that is where we leave it. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time.